Bible, grab it. We'll be bouncing around a little bit today, but just out of the gate, Christmas this year is different. Uh, talking with people before the service, uh, people who are canceling, you know, traditions that they've had, being able to get together with family, um, you know, because of fear of what might, might happen to a loved one. Uh, it's, just, it's just very, very different this year. And one of the things that, like for me personally, as that, that I both enjoy every year, but has perhaps become a little more true this year, are like some of the lyrics from Christmas carols. Not trash songs like, you know, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, but real, sorry McCartney fans, I hate that song, but real, like legit Christmas carols. And the reason that I have always liked them, and the reason why maybe they're standing out to me a little bit more this year, is because they're honest. They're truthful. They don't, you know, gloss over and try to pretend that everybody is simply having a wonderful Christmas time. They don't try to pretend that it's a holly jolly Christmas for everybody, because it's not always. Not everybody's rocking around the Christmas tree. Things are hard. 2020 has been hard, right? And so one of the songs that stands out most to me this year is a line from O Holy Night. And it's, it's the line where it says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices weary world that's us we have a global pandemic we have political discontent we have racial tension we have economic upheaval we have quarantine isolation in our own church family this year has particularly been hard on the loss of loved ones weary world and so we're desperate for hope for a cure for a brighter future for a returning to the song new and glorious morn and it's arrived Jesus has come And that's what Advent is all about. It's a season that meets us in the midst of our longings, in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our frailty, and yet it also points us to the thrill of hope that came on that new and glorious morn. It points us to the miracle of God coming to us and redeeming us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. It's all about a thrill of hope to such a degree, and this is important, listen to me, that rejoicing can inhabit our weariness. That, that, That 
the rejoicing doesn't necessarily replace or drive out the weariness that we face. We're going to continue in weariness. For the, it's a fallen world. It'll always be that way. But even right now, over the next coming weeks, coming months, that weariness will continue. But rejoicing can come and maybe not replace it, but it can inhabit your weariness. It can inhabit your frailty. Those two things can grow in the same Petri dish. Both weariness and concern and rejoicing even in it. This is what Advent is all about. And that's honest. And chalked full of hope. That rejoicing can inhabit our weariness. And so this morning, I want to show you three reasons why. Three reasons that are just kind of facets of this thrill of hope. Three facets of the thrill of hope. And the first one is this. The hope of the Incarnation. The hope of the Incarnation. I, I get it, that's a big word. But look at the, the main word in the middle of it. You've got carne, right? If, if you like Mexican food, you carne asada, right? It, carne means meat. It means flesh. That's what it means. And so the Incarnation is... Like what that means is when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, the Eternal and Divine Son became incarnate in meat, in the flesh. He became a human. That's why in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Jesus has become man. And as J.I. Packer says, this is more of a miracle than the resurrection. Because in the incarnation, somehow a holy God and sinful humanity are joined together yet without sin. And nothing in fiction, no movie, no book, nothing is as fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. In Jesus, God enters the human realm and He walks on water. He calms the sea. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He raises the dead and He conquers the grave. This is the thrill of hope indeed. Colossians 2.9 For in Him, Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's called the hypostatic union of Christ. I'll tell you that just so you know I went to seminary. Jesus is fully God. And fully man. Not 50-50. Not 51% God and 49%... No, fully God. And fully man. And so let's just let our minds revel in this for a minute. Shut your eyes for just a second and just think. Let your mind like imagine these things because they're true. But just let your mind revel on this mystery and wonder that the God of heaven out there made everything. On that holy night became the Lord of the earth right here. He took His love of people and He wrapped it in skin and bone. The Creator of the universe 
has come to redeem the universe. And He came, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, as a baby born in a dirty room and laid in a feed trough. You guys can open your eyes. He so loved us that, quoting Augustine of Hippo, He through whom time was made was made in time. And He, older by eternity than the world itself, was younger in age than many of His servants in the world. He who made man was made man. He was given existence by a woman He brought into existence. He was held in hands that He formed. He nursed at breasts that He filled. God of the universe lay in a manger crying and unable to speak. That's crazy. This is the beauty and the wonder and the mystery of the incarnation. God, the Son, became man and remains that way today. He will always be fully God, fully man. Like Jesus didn't begin at uh, you know, Bethlehem. That's not where he began. He had always been eternal, second person of the Trinity. But on that day, he became incarnate. Why? Why did he do all that? Matthew one twenty one says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins, and he had to be God in order to bear the full wrath against sin, in order to defeat sin and death. He had to be God, but he had to be man in order to represent us, in order to be our substitute. And so the good news of great joy which has come to all people is the very God that we have sinned against has come into human history as the man Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sin. To redeem men and women back to God by living the perfect sinless life we have all failed to do. He did it for us. Dying the death for sin that we've all been condemned to die. He took that for us. And then rising in victory over sin and death to give us a gift none of us could earn. Forgiveness and eternal life. This is a thrill of hope. There's hope because of the incarnation. Through Jesus, God and sinners reconcile. That's the first facet of the thrill of hope I want you to see this morning. The second one is this. The hope of Emmanuel. The hope of Emmanuel. If you've already turned to Matthew chapter 1, read with me again starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took this 
took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's about to quote Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Thrill of hope. God with us. Not God out there, but God right here with us. With us. And it's something that Jesus emphatically wanted us to get because it's repeated all throughout Scripture. We see it right here with His birth. He's Emmanuel, God with us. After He resurrects and just before He ascends back into heaven, He says, and lo, I will be with you always. I will be with you always. Hebrews 13.5 I will never leave you nor forsake you. Which means in your deepest valleys and on your highest mountains, where's God? He is with you. Always. And again, just think about the wonder and mystery of this. Let your mind just revel in this for a minute. The transcendent, infinite, all-powerful, God Almighty the creator and sustainer of all things, the giver and taker of life, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, the one whom cherubim and seraphim hide their faces from because of His radiant glory, God Almighty in Christ is with you. Personally, like not just with the church, yes, but you individually sitting here right now in the mess that's going on in your life. With you. And so whatever it is you're in, whatever it is you're facing, whatever you're going through in this weary world, Jesus is, for one, with you, but then secondly, He gets it. Like he understands it. And not just like knows about it because he's God. He gets it because he's lived it. Like in the incarnation, he's experienced it. Listen to Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest. Listen again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted or tested as we are, 
yet without sin. In your sermon guide, there's some, um, a, a list of resources. I give you a list of resources every single week. Good books, articles, different things to, to read. Uh, one of them, I think it's probably the first one this week, is a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And in that book, he spends a great deal of, of time on this verse. Hebrews 4.15. And he highlights the fact that the burden of this verse, here in Hebrews 4.15, is Jesus Christ's solidarity with His people. His solidarity with His people. Because like our mind, I'll say that, but I guarantee you it's the same for all of us. Our natural inclination, our natural intuition tells us that, that Jesus is on our side when, you know, and He is present and He is helping when life is going well. But Hebrews 4.15 highlights the exact opposite of that. It says that it is in our weaknesses that Jesus sympathizes with us. It's in our weaknesses and the reason that there is such solidarity with us and that Jesus sympathizes with us is because the difficult path that we walk is not unique to us. He trod it as well. He walked it as well. Tempted in every way. Tested in every way. Just like you. Able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He was without sin. And so it's not only that Jesus can relieve us from our troubles like a doctor prescribing medicine. It's also that before any relief comes, He is with us in our troubles like a doctor who's endured the same disease. He gets it. And He's with us. And so, friends, your struggles, your heartache, your anxieties, your depression, your concerns, the things that are weighing heavy on your heart, your challenges, Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like. Let me just bring this down and think through it. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. And once he lost Lazarus, yeah, he raised him, he grieved first, but... He lost his dad. You never hear about Joseph after Jesus is 12 years old. He lost his dad. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Or, or watch a loved one go through pain or painful experiences. To watch them suffer. To watch them struggle with the consequences of bad choice that they made. Jesus knows that. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back. Jesus has walked this life, y'all. He knows what it's like to be praised. He knows how fickle that praise is. He knows what it's like to be criticized. He knows what it's like to be mocked, to be belittled, to be misunderstood, to be condemned. To have the people around you that you thought loved you assume the absolute worst about you. Jesus knows that. He's experienced it. Not just knows about it, He's endured it. He knows what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to be troubled. He knows what it's like to be accused falsely. He knows what it's like to be deeply grieved. 
He knows what it's like to be sorrowful. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every way, to be tired, to be hungry, thirsty, to be frustrated, to be angry, to be disrespected, to be unloved. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be alone, isolated, lonely, excluded. I mean, his friends abandoned him when he needed them the most. Had he lived today, every single one of his Twitter followers and Facebook friends would have unfriended him when he turned 33. But he will never, I want you to hear that, never unfriend you. Ever. And so understanding that Jesus in the incarnation faced all of this. Know then that in this weary world, when the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in again, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it feels like that one shot at doing something really meaningful in this life, has slipped through your fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend lets us down, when the family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we're laughed at by the impressive, basically when the fallenness of this world closes in on us and makes us just want to throw in the towel and I'm done. It is there. In that moment, not when it gets better, there that Jesus is with you. Right there. Not like, hey, you blew it, suffer, deal with it. Someday, when you get your act together, then I'll be with you. No, in the midst of your folly, He is with you always. There's nowhere you can go to get away from Him. Psalm 139. He is with you. Like right in that moment. And He knows exactly what it feels like. And He sits close and He embraces us. He is Emmanuel with us. God with us. We are never alone. And so that sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique to you, your situation, quoting Ortland's book, it was endured by Christ in the past. He's lived it. And it's now shouldered by Him in the present. Because He's with you. This is the hope of Emmanuel. And I've seen it in my life over and over and over, even when I've tried to run the other way. He was right there. He never left me. He never forsook me. Though I tried to leave Him and forsake Him, He did not. And it's not just that He's able to pull me out of the hole, out of the pit I was in. It's that He loved me enough to climb down in there with me. 
He's with you always, even to the end of the age. And so whatever you're going through, Jesus is saying to you this morning, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I've got you. I've got you. And I'm not going to pretend that things are peachy because they're not, child. They are hard. They are difficult. But I am with you in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the weariness, in the midst of the loss you feel, maybe especially even this season. In the midst of the worst times, I'm still right here. And I've got you. This is why rejoicing can inhabit our weariness. Even when the weariness doesn't go away, rejoicing can live there because Christ lives there. Christ lives in you. He's with you in the ups and in the downs. He loves you that much. That is a thrill of hope. But there's more. Not only has Christ come and given us the hope of the incarnation, not only is He with us presently in the hope of Emmanuel, but Christ is coming again. And that's number three in your notes. The hope of eternity. The hope of eternity. Because that too is a Christmas message. That's the Advent message. A completely new and glorious morn is coming. That, that's why the song, like, that's why we sing the song uh, Joy to the World. That's what it's all about. It's all about the second coming of Christ. It's an eschatological song, it's a second Advent song. When Jesus comes again, then there's joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. There's joy to the world. The Savior reigns. There's joy to the world because no more does sin and sorrow grow. Listen, nor thorns infest the ground. That's when He comes again. There's no more sin. There's no more thorns infesting the ground. And He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. Friends, that's coming. This is coming. This is the hope of eternity. Jesus is on the throne right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. And one day He's going to crack the sky and return. Second advent. But not as a baby in a manger, but as a warrior king on a white horse with a tattoo on his leg and a fire coming out of his mouth and the blood of his foes on his robe. And when He comes, He's bringing a restoration. A restoration of all that's gone wrong being made right. Because remember, as we've said before, the, the, the story of the Bible is not just like a Western linear story where it's you know, beginning, middle, end. The story of Scripture is beginning, middle, new beginning. A restoration of all that's gone wrong. A return to Eden, as it were. Paradise restored perfectly. It's kind of like a sunrise. I mean, you, those of you who go to, you know, go to the beach and you get up early, don't know why you do that when you're at the beach, but if you do, 
like, and you watch a sunrise, you know, light begins filling the sky before the sun is visible. But that's kind of like Jesus' first advent. Light began, has, has come into the darkness. But when Jesus comes again, that sun is fully raised and all of our hopes are fully realized and the light shines everywhere. Paradise regained. Christ returned. This is what Revelation 21 is all about. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Emmanuel fully realized. And He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. This is weariness. Bye-bye weariness. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. New beginning." restoration also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will give from the spring of the water of life without payment the one who conquers will have this heritage and i will be his god and he will be my son that's coming. Second advent is coming. And the weariness of the world will be gone. The difficulties of the world will be gone. The tyranny, the racism, the hatred, the wickedness, the greed, the fill in the blank. Gone. Sin and death. extinct and replaced by unending and ever increasing hear that unending and ever increasing hope and peace and joy and love ever increasing Joy that's unfathomable. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. That's what the thrill of hope is all about. All of those facets. A new and glorious morn when Jesus was born. And a new and glorious morn when He returns. And so friends, this Christmas, rejoicing can inhabit your weariness. And it's not about you mustering up the faith to make it strong. Let's have a little mustard seed of faith in the one who is strong. He is the rejoicing. 
in the midst of our weariness because of the hope of the incarnation, the hope of Emmanuel, God with us, and the hope of eternity, new heavens, new earth, new beginning. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And so indeed, let us fall on our knees and praise his name forever. Let's pray. Lord, you are gracious and good. And we do not have the vocabulary to even begin to say how gracious and kind and merciful you are to rebels. That you would not only, like, Lord, you don't begrudgingly forgive us. You, you, you rescue us through Christ and then you delight in us and sing over us. Though we are broken and dirty, but you don't see us that way. You see us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. No, not just see us. You've made us that way. Praise your name forever. Thank you for being with us always. Not just in the easy times, but especially sympathizing with us in the weakest of times, the most weary of times. We love you and praise you and need you. And you are there. Praise your name forever. Amen.